thanks for listening to this sermon from Cedar Springs Church. We know life is busy and it's easy to get caught up running in so many directions. At Cedar Springs, we see you and we're with you. We also understand the feeling inside of you for something deeper. In fact, we believe God created us for those deeper things and we want to help you discover them. We want to introduce you to a life lived deeply with God and with others. If you're not already, we invite you to visit us during one of our Sunday worship services. We are all working toward taking our next step to move into deeper faith and community. So come, take your next step with us. We don't want you to settle for life as normal because you were made to live deeply. Friends, good morning. It's good to see you. If you're new with us, my name is James Forsyth. I'm the senior pastor here, and it is a gift for us to be, to be together. This time in, in, in a sanctuary, a, a haven of rest for us to gather from the craziness of the world and the craziness of our lives, to be with one another, to be with our, to be with our God, to celebrate Him and enjoy the gospel enjoy the gospel together. Today, we're going to talk about the image of God and racial diversity. We're doing some light topics these uh, recent weeks. Um, So many different directions, of course, that we could go in with this one, and what we can achieve in one sermon is, of course, modest at best. But I want to take some time to consider this topic together, to consider how the image of God shapes the way that we as Christians think about this topic. So this is the last week of this series that we've been in, where we've been encouraging, I've been encouraging you to, to see that the image of God isn't just a truth we must know, it's a category we must think in. I want us and I want you to be equipped to navigate the challenges that come with living as a Christian in this cultural moment. And it's been my pastoral contention to you that the image of God is a key truth that that helps us do just that, that helps us live and love like Jesus, for Jesus in this world that Jesus really loves. (laughs) And that he's called us to live in as salt and as light. So I've called us to see the image of God where? First in the mirror to understand that you are made in the image of God, that you possess unspeakable value, dignity, and worth, but then also to see the image of God in our neighbors, to see that every human being is made in the image of God. And then we've looked at some case studies together to see how this truth starts to change the way we think. So in the last couple of weeks, we've seen how this teaching, the image of God, shapes the way we think about the sanctity of life and shapes our approach to the transgender community. And this week, we're going to take one last example to see how the image of God leads us to celebrate racial diversity. The image of God leads us to celebrate racial diversity. Now, for more on this, I'd love for you to read this book. It's called The Beautiful Community, Unity, Diversity, and the Church at Its Best by an author called Erwin Ince. Around 100 of us have been working through his book in a Sunday school class together, and there's been lots of good conversations. It's been been a healthy and and productive time, and that's a resource I'd encourage you I'd encourage you to look at. But now, as always, let's, let's turn to God's word and give our attention to what he has, he has to say. Reading is the same as the last couple of weeks. We're going to be in Genesis 1. We're going to read verses 26 through 28. This is a subset of the, the scripture that was already read to you, but let's give our attention, our attention to it. 
Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living, living thing that moves on the earth. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Father, we are grateful for your word that comes to teach us. And I pray, Lord, for, for my heart and for the hearts of, of all your people gathered here this morning, that, that we would be we would be teachable, that we would come to your word and seek out your will and seek then to order our own lives in light of it. Lord, we believe in your goodness. We believe in your greatness. We believe in your, your love. And we believe that we are blessed people to be following Jesus this morning. So would you help us to do that well, we pray, in this world that Jesus so deeply loves. In his perfect name, amen. Okay, friends, the image of God and racial diversity. One of my goals in this sermon, and I have a few of them, but one of them is to make sure that we all leave here understanding why we as Christians celebrate racial diversity. It's a topic that in the culture may be popular in some ways just now, but I'm trying to get us to think biblically about all things, and so I want us to think biblically about this topic as well. So let's do some theology. Are you ready? <laughs> Just humor me and say yes, okay? <laughs> All right. The image of God and racial diversity. Here's your first topic, uh, your first heading. First heading for us to understand why we celebrate racial diversity is that God is a beautiful community. God himself is a beautiful community. We know this, how? Because of the Trinity. And so look at Genesis 1, verse 26. We read, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Who is God talking to? Answer, himself. <laughs> himself. This is a conversation between the three persons of the Trinity, the one God who exists in three persons. And so we believe the Bible teaches us that there is but one God the living and true God. But this God exists in three persons. There are three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, each of which are the same in substance, each of which are the same in power and glory. Now, of course, exactly how the Trinity works is something of a beautiful mystery. This three in, in, in one is, is beyond our full comprehension, and yet the Bible is, is, is clear. It's clear that there aren't, you know, there aren't three separate gods. It's not like the Father is a God, and the Son is a God, and that the Holy Spirit is a God. The Bible is also clear that there aren't just um, one God, there isn't just one God who plays three separate roles. So I, I'm, I'm a husband, and I'm a father, and I'm a, I'm, I'm a pastor, but there's only one of me, right? That, that's not how, how the Trinity works. No, the Bible says there is one God who exists in three persons. God himself is a beautiful community. 
And so Erwin writes, God is the apex of unchanging beauty as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in eternally existent, mutually glorifying, loving, honoring, and supporting diverse community. God exists and has always existed in relationship with himself. Unity in diversity, this beautiful community. Now, the beautiful inner life of God was was described by the ancient church fathers using the term perichoresis. That's not one you hear every day. Perichoresis, now technically it's a concept that the three persons of the Trinity, as they live together, they indwell one another, they interpenetrate one another. More practically, though, we can understand their meaning when we see a, a derivative of the Greek word perichoresis in our English word choreography. Perichoresis, choreography. So think of a dance. That's what the church fathers were getting at. The three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, move in time together. They move in rhythm with one another. They are in perfect agreement over what it is they want to do and in perfect agreement over how it is they're going to do it. In the Trinity, they don't step on each other's toes. (laughs) Why? There's unity in their diversity. They are a beautiful community. Now, why is this significant? Why, why, should you, why should you care? Why are we talking about Trinity and three and one and perichoresis and all this stuff? Because we're talking about our God and you should care because you are made in the image of this God. This is the God that you are made in the image of. So if you, want, if you want to understand what it means to be you, if you want to understand what it means to be made in his image, you need to understand something about him. <laughs> and, and this understanding of God as a trinity who exists in beautiful community is central to our understanding of it as well. And so that's your second heading. God is a beautiful community and you are made in his image. It's the same verse, Genesis 1, 26, but this time let's hi- highlight different words. God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. So the God who exists and has always existed and will always exist as three in one, a community within himself, made humanity to resemble and represent him. He wanted us to to be like him. And so, of course, we believe there is only one human race God made from one man, Acts 17, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. But within this one human race, within this unity, there is spectacularly beautiful diversity. And so God didn't make us all the same in order that we might image him. There are men and there are women. And some are black and some are white Some are red in the summer, okay? And (laughs) some are strong and some are smart. And some are poets and some love math. We all share the same DNA and yet none of us have the same fingerprint. (laughs) It's a miracle. (laughs) A miracle of God's great creativity. Now, why such diversity? Why aren't we all created exactly the same way? Listen to this beautiful quote by a, a Dutch theologian called Herman Bavink. He says, the image of God is much too rich for it to be fully realized in a single human being. However richly gifted that human being may be, 
It, the image of God, can only be somewhat unfolded in its depth and riches in a humanity counting billions of members. Isn't that good? God made us different so that together we might image him. The Trinity, a beautiful community of unity in diversity, made humanity to, to be like him, a beautiful community of unity in diversity. And so you are made fully in the image of God. And you and I are all puzzle pieces. <laughs> pieces of a puzzle together with the rest of humanity that when placed side by side begins to declare just how great, just how grand, just how glorious our God is. We celebrate racial diversity because God is a beautiful community. And so in his image, humanity is a beautiful community too. Tracking? Okay. So much we could say at this point. I'm going to have to limit us to, to two implications, but I encourage you to continue the conversation as you leave from here. Two practical implications of this teaching. First, because God made us in his image to be a beautiful community of unity in diversity, because we celebrate racial diversity. First, and very practically, we as Christians condemn all racism. We condemn all, all racism. Whether that's racism that plays out globally, we would say it doesn't matter where you're from, if you're a human being, you're made in the image of God. And so whether you are an American or a Scot or a Russian or a Ukrainian or a North Korean or a South Korean or a Brazilian or a Peruvian, it doesn't matter where you're from, you have unspeakable value, dignity, and worth. We condemn global racism. Not only that, we condemn national racism. <laughs> We condemn the racism that we see play out in our, in our own country. The latest, of course, in that long line of heartbreak, that history of, of evil came to us just days ago from Buffalo. Days ago from Buffalo, where 10 black image bearers were murdered by a white supremacist. Esau Macaulay writes, they died in a Topps grocery store because they were black and wanted to buy food on a Saturday in America. And the evil of this, the horror of this, the injustice of this, the, the wrong, is found in, in the fact that these black brothers and sisters were, were made in the image of God. We condemn the racism we see in our, in our nation, globally, nationally, locally too. We condemn the racism that we see in our, in our own city. Two weeks ago, in our own city, one Christian school disciplined some students after, quote, a video shared on social media showed a student wearing a white hood commonly associated with the Ku Klux Klan. Did you see this story in the news? This student yells racial slurs while another student laughs off screen. And so we see another example of how our long depraved history of racism is alive today. And we say that the evil of it, the horror of it, the injustice and, and the wrong is found in the fact that our black brothers and sisters are made in the image of God. We condemn it globally, nationally, locally. And also we condemn it personally. Right. 
everyone, lean in with me for a second, okay? Because I am not talking to you in the categories of our culture. You understand? I, I'm, I am not a social commentator. I'm a pastor, which means I, I try and talk about what the Bible has to say, right? I plagiarize every single week from this book. And when I talk about personal racism, I'm not talking to you in the categories of our culture. I'm not talking to you about all that we hear from left and right about education and CRT and all the rest. I'm talking biblically, and the Bible says that none of us are free from sin. That's what the Bible says. That wasn't Fox or CNN. It's the Bible. The Bible says that none of us are are free from, from, from sin. So in an interview that I recorded with Erwin Ince, ahead of our Sunday school class. You can find that, that interview online. We discussed a strange reality that we see in the church world, that we see in church culture, which is that most Christians will be honest about the fact that they struggle with sin. And they'll happily share that they struggle, you know, like with selfishness or that sometimes they, they've lied and not told the truth. And in appropriate settings, Christians will even be honest about the uglier sins, about their, their anger, their struggle with lust, and, and things of, of that nature. But bring up racism, and every Christian and everyone in our culture suddenly gets super defensive. Why? Because there's this cultural weight, not a biblical weight. There's this cultural weight to, 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 to somehow deny that you might ever struggle with this. And the Bible says... Everybody struggles with this and everything else. And so you have this, this reality where, where Christians deny it. And just think about what we're saying for a second. We're saying, you know, kind of that whole but for the grace of God go I idea. Like, we struggle with every sin but this one. This one we've conquered. Praise the Lord for that. How did we do it? I don't know. But here's the reality. I don't think we have. I don't think we have, do we not ever feel smug because of the group that we're in? Do you not ever show partiality toward people with whom you feel like you fit in? Is this one area where you are completely free from sin? The culture doesn't say this, but here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And so Christians, we search our hearts for those seeds of racism. And when we find them, we condemn them. And do you know that's the beginning to hope? Because confessing our sin is what ushers us into grace that empowers us to then live a, a, a different life. If there's no confession, there's no healing. And so we condemn racism Yes, globally, nationally, locally, but personally as well. When we see it in ourselves, the injustice and evil and horror and wrong is found in the fact that the people we think we're better than are also made in the image of God. Now, friends, I'm done on this point, and it might sound like an obvious point, but two things. First of all, we're thinking biblically about it, and I don't want to take it for granted Because while it might sound like an obvious point, the evidence of our world says that it's not. And so we say, we condemn all racism because everyone is made in the image 
of God. Second, final one for today, friends, because of this teaching, second practical implication, because of this teaching that God has made us in his image to be a a beautiful community of unity in diversity, yes, we condemn all racism, but we also long for a yet more beautiful church. We long for a yet more beautiful church. Do you know um, a gloriously and spectacularly beautiful, diverse future awaits every single believer in Christ? How do do we know this? Well, well, we read about it in the Word. We read Revelation 7, 9. When John is given a vision of what heaven looks like, a vision of our great hope, a vision of our destiny, a vision of what our future will be, what does he see? He says, behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, that God has gathered a global community to worship him and his son. So you know this, what this means for your future? Um, <laughs> if you are black, God will resurrect your black body and you will stand as a black man or woman before his throne. And if you are Asian, God will resurrect your Asian body and you will stand as an Asian man or woman before his throne. And if you're Hispanic, God will resurrect your Hispanic body and you will stand as a Hispanic man or woman before the throne. And if you're white, God will resurrect your white body and you will stand as a white man or woman before the throne. And we'll all stand there together, redeemed by God's own son. That's your future. That's my future. And this gospel, the power of it, is that this future can break in now. Now, we're very familiar with that because we pray, may your kingdom come, okay? But but this this glorious, this aspect of our future can also break in now. Peter Lightheart, then let me put his quote up. (laughs) If you ever want something beautifully phrased completely incomprehensibly, call a theologian. Okay, because he says the church is a proleptic sign of that eschatological reality. What on earth does that mean, friends? It means something so good. In this sentence, eschatological reality is talking about heaven. It's talking about that vision that we we just spoke about. And proleptic in this context means to be a mirror. So all he's saying is that the church should be a mirror of what heaven looks like, right? But I phrased it that way so I don't get to write books, okay? Um, The church should be a mirror of what heaven will look like. You understand that people should know what heaven looks like by looking at the church now. In us, they should see his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the call of the kingdom Life And so in this world, we don't see unity in diversity, but in this church, we can. God has broken down the barriers that exist, not only between us and him, but also between us and our fellow man, our fellow woman. In him, believers are all one. And so for this reason, we long for our church to look like heaven. Now, friends, come on. We don't think this congregation is going to contain people from every single nation on earth. But we do think it should contain people from 
all the folks that God has placed around us. We, we think the makeup of our church should match the makeup of our community. We think the complexion of our church should match the complexion of our, our community. That, see how actually uncontroversial this is? That we should be a church that reaches the people God has placed around us. And, and we can be because of gospel grace. That we would find different ages, different socioeconomic backgrounds, different educational backgrounds, different professional backgrounds, different ethnic backgrounds, and all the rest in this place. And that we would be committed to the fact that if there's any group of people who doesn't feel welcome here, the problem lies with us. The problem lies with, with us. I would say... If you feel different here, can I just honor you for making us more like heaven? (laughs) And I'd say, if you feel right at home here, let's make sure to honor and embrace those who are making us a little bit more like heaven. We want to be a church who reaches the community that God has placed us in, whose makeup more and more, whose complexion more and more matches the community that the Lord has, has placed us in, that we might more and more be the beautiful community he has designed us to be. A sermon on the broader implications of this is going to have to wait for, for another day. But today, um, start with prayer. That Jesus, who has bridged that ultimate divide between us in our sin and him, would give us the grace to bridge the divides in our own community that we might reach those God has placed us alongside and that we might see his kingdom come. Okay, the image of God and racial diversity, you understand You understand with me why we celebrate it? Not because it's popular in the world, not because there's a cultural pressure to do so, but because God is a beautiful community of unity and diversity and we have been made in his image. So we can be a beautiful community that sees his kingdom come. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we, um, we see so much division in our world. So much anger, so much bitterness, so much hatred, so much sin. And Lord, we see all of that in our own hearts as well. And so we thank you for Jesus who has come to bridge the divides that, yes, existed between us and you, but also that exist between our fellow man. And we believe, Lord, that in Jesus we are one. In Jesus, in the gospel, we have the resources of confession and forgiveness and grace that we need to live as one new new humanity created in your image. So, Lord, in this (laughs) small section of Knoxville, would we be a people who who love indiscriminately (laughs) and who see your kingdom come. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.